talented noted American slacker Steve Malcolmus and his Jicks. Harold, another edition, another Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. And my guest on this episode of the podcast is Rotograph's own Ben Pazenkoff. And in what follows, we begin with Mr. Pazenkoff's specialty. Of course, twice a week, Ben is in charge of the bullpen report at Rotographs. The bullpen report is a great resource for those people who would like to stay abreast of which pitchers are and are not receiving save opportunities in Major League Baseball. Not only do we look at a couple of pitchers who are set to receive save opportunities, but I ask and Ben answers a question likely of some interest to the fantasy owner. Notably, how good does a relief pitcher have to be to not be recording saves, but to be rosterable? Pazikoff answers that question with what can only be described as a plum. Moving on, we consider three starting pitchers to have made their Major League debuts over the past week. Their names are Chris Archer, Tyler Thornburg, and a pitcher with slightly less pedigree, but who posted the best performance of all of them, Texas Rangers right-hander Justin Grimm. We look at their prospects both for the near and less near future. Finally, uh, Stephen Drew, Roy Oswalt, Derek Norris. They all have something in common besides a Y chromosome. What is it? Pazinkoff tells us. He tells us a lot more than that because this is the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio, and it begins right now. It turns out you can have a perfectly happy life without listening to even one episode of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, but I've, li- I've listened to I've listened to it before a couple of a few of the one with with Dave Cameron and I listened I believe last week was it Eno was on your fancy Friday podcast. Oh yeah, Eno yeah um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so we have historically started off with a Hector Santiago status update, um, and that's because it was weird. When Hector Santiago was named the closer of the White Sox, mm-hmm. um, he's not that anymore. And while I would suggest that in certain formats, uh, there's a possibility he could have value, um, we don't really focus on Hector Santiago so much anymore. However, we do reserve space at the beginning of the podcast to uh, examine some uh, to examine the closing situations that are going on in this world. Uh, especially the right. ones sort of at the fringes, I guess. Uh, you know, um, you know, there are certainly closers whose uh, whose roles are pretty well established. Uh, right. But Other people want to talk about. Yeah, we don't need to talk about those. Um, but uh, there are there are also some some weird ones uh, that are going on, and uh, mm-hmm. we take this. And I I um, not belonging to a league where saves are of vital importance. I'm uh, very bad at knowing. The sort of uh, where turnover is occurring. So this is where I defer to you immediately, especially because you are one of uh, the uh, the authors of our bullpen report. Exactly. Some might call me an expert. Yeah, some might call you that. I don't know. I don't know who precisely. I don't know who they are, but there's some. Yeah, there's some. So so what are uh, what are the interesting things or the interesting uh, closing situations right now going on? Who's getting save opportunities, Mr. Pazinkoff? Um, the ones that are getting save opportunities right now, well, Jose Valverde is currently out three to four days 
with a, a sore wrist that he hurt in the bullpen the past week. And Joaquim, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, maybe Joaquin or Joaquin, Joaquin Benoit and his uh, strikeout arsenal has been has taken over the closing duties for for the last couple of days and maybe for the next couple of days, although it is remained to be seen how long Jose Valverde will be out. But uh, Benoit is worthy worthy of ownership regardless if he's uh, gathering saves because he strikes out more than 12 guys for nine innings. And since 2010, with when the Rays did their uh, voodoo magic with the relievers, he's become actually one of the one of the better relievers in the game over the past three years. So he's certainly with rosterable and for now might be getting saves with Valverde, who's out. And also struggling meanwhile. Hey, can I ask you, what is this for like a typical 5x5 five five league? I say like a normal mm-hmm. depth. I don't know what normal depth is. Maybe 12 teams. Five by 12 teams. Yeah, okay. 5x5 five five league. What is the sort of like, how good does a non, does a relief pitcher have to be if he's not getting saves to, to be rosterable? I would say he needs to, by far, by far and large, he needs to be getting strikeouts. If they're not getting strikeouts or in line for saves, then they're they're definitely they're definitely not worth owning. Um, like Benoit, Benoit gets gets tons of strikeouts, so he's he's certainly with the guy having having in your team to help out with your ratios and help with your strikeouts. Although it's kind of dependent on how you roster your team and if you have strikeout heavy pitchers or if you go with six or seven starters, or maybe you want to go with only four or five starters in the beginning of the year and go relief heavy. It it kind of depends on strategy, but. For me and personally in my leagues, I like to I like to roster a closer, a reliever who's not getting saves that, that has good strikeout ability, that or somebody who's on on route to getting saves potentially in the future, and ideally they have both. What's the um, like? What are a couple other guys that might also meet that description besides Benoit, who who as you know will be getting saves? But what are some other names um, that just come to mind as guys who are sort of High strikeout, really effective um, relief pitchers, but no, not receiving saves. So, so some other ones are, are Glenn Perkins, who he, I guess it's kind of a cop-out answer because he is receiving a couple of saves with uh, Matt Capps nursing a, a minor shoulder injury. But Glenn Perkins also strikes out over almost 11 and a half guys per nine innings, and he's certainly one worth worth rostering on the uh, on the Twins. He's also his teammate Jared Burton happens to be. Doing really well, and he's not necessarily in line for save, but he also strikes out over, over, over nine batters, nine innings, and gets and has excellent control this year, walking less than one for nine. Um, every team basically has a handful, oftentimes. And on the Royals, you have Greg Holland, who's who strikes out a ton of guys, and this should be in line for saves. And the Royals also have Telvin Herrera, who strikes out a ton of guys, is in line for saves. And there's kind of a an overload in in uh, Relief pitching on, on on some teams with with heavy strikeouts. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and as you note, um, well, of course, with the Benoit situation relative to Valverde, um, uh, and I think it's also probably been the case, certainly with Greg Holland, maybe with Kelvin Herrera, relative to Jonathan Broxton. I think there are probably examples there of uh, setup setup pitchers who are, are kind of demonstrably superior to the to the pitchers who are actually getting the saves, closing games. Yes, that that would certainly be true. Yeah, um, pitchers, the managers don't necessarily they like the the proven closer tag label, and that oftentimes supersedes actual skill. Yes, to the, to the dismay of many uh, to many fantasy baseball players. Right. 
Um, so okay, so we so we discussed. Uh, oh wait, yeah, I want to ask you. Uh, do we do we know what happened to Valverde's hand? Because as you noted, it just happened in the bullpen. Uh, I have yet to actually see what what really happened to to his hand. But they said he had a like a sprained right wrist. He was in the bullpen warming up. It was a I believe a three run lead earlier this week, and he was warming up, and then hurt his wrist. Was out. Had an MRI. I believe it came back okay, but it's still sore. So for the next couple couple of days, we can look for and want to get some opportunities. He won't be around. Yeah. Um, yeah, but maybe uh, yeah, maybe less turnover than we're used to. Is there, um, do we know of any injured? Uh, I remember at one point we were discussing uh, on this podcast with the closing situation. Um, and again, it's going to sound like I know nothing about baseball. It's uh, well, in, in, that might be true, but I know less than I uh, than <laughs> I know less about closing situations. How did the uh, how did the back end of the Yankee situation ever work out? With because uh, Soriano was coming back and David Robertson was around. Right, so uh, David Robertson was one of over the last couple of years been one of the best setup men in all all of baseball, and the seemingly heir apparent to Mo whenever he would retire, or in this case, tear his ACL. And uh, Robertson got the first couple of nods, I believe, but 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 struggled walking guys on, and I believe he blew his blew his first save. And thereafter, he actually got hurt and was put on the DL. And Soriano came in, and he has the the vaulted closer experience tag and he's actually done quite well. He wasn't he wasn't even pitching all that well peripheral wise, underlying numbers wise before he became the closer, but since then he's kind of been uh been been near perfect and has kind of been pitching like like the player that the Yankees may have thought they were getting when they gave him thirty million dollars. Yeah, it, well that's a, I don't know if you remember when that contract was signed, but I believe uh GM Brian Cashman actually announced or at least made it clear that it was not his decision to sign Soriano to what I think was something like a, th- a three or thirty-six million dollar deal. Yeah, it was something around there, and yeah, he did. Uh, he washed himself publicly clean, his hands clean of, uh, of signing that contract. I yeah. wonder if he'll if he'll say it was a smart decision uh, now. Although I doubt it, but you never know. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, well, that's what you know. It, it, it could end up working out, but I think that you know we try our best to. To sort of look at the situation given the circumstances at the time, and I think it—I think we could say with some certainty that paying a, a relief pitcher twelve million dollars a year, especially an injury-prone relief pitcher, twelve million dollars a year for three years, probably is not a wise decision, generally speaking. Yeah, we could we could maybe say probably. We could maybe say. That, we could maybe say definitely. We can yeah. Well, as long as we we couch it with enough qualifiers, we'll always be right, Ben. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, now listen, uh, I also noticed uh, some pitchers making debuts this week, and of course, I guess in, in terms of staying ahead in um, in fantasy baseball, it uh, as it is the case with closers and sort of um, knowing what's going on at the back end of the bullpens and the turnover that's occurring there. Um, certainly, injuries are always occurring among pitchers, and because that's happening, um, there are always new pitchers replacing them. Some of them are Jeff Supan, who I'm sure is a great guy. Um, but Jeff Supan, for example, is not a particularly interesting pitcher to. Um, and imagine, imagine he must be must be one hell of a guy. He's actually still pitching in the major leagues. That's true. Yes, he must be a standout individual. He and Mark Kotze are probably well. They're on the same team, I believe. Now they're just they oh. must be the best guys. And maybe the Billy Bean may want to take note and having those kind of guys around. That may be the new money ball. It might be the new money ball. Uh, it, well, it's borne out by the fact that the San Diego Padres are doing so well. 
I think that right. we've really nailed it on the head. But in, in any case, and actually Jason Marquis is on that team. That is like the all-time gamer team. Um, yeah. They might want to look Jason Marquis. Jason Marquis also can, has a pretty pretty decent bat and uh, and apparently has pinch run before, so he's a man of many talents. He is, yeah. Um, it, but... But um, so as as pitchers get injured, we have this turnover. New pitchers come up. As I mentioned, some of them are Jeff Supan. Some of them, though, are prospects, um, real prospects, or have become prospects this year. I noticed, for example, uh, probably the most notable pitching debut this week um, was in uh, was in Tampa, um, where Chris Archer. Uh, right. Or, um, Chris Archer faced was was given the task of facing Steven Strasburg, um, but Chris Archer came over from Chicago in the deal that sent Matt Garza the other way. I should say came over with like six other guys in the deal that sent yeah, Sam Foles and uh, Hak Julie and several other guys. Right, yeah, all of them who kind of were interesting at, at some level. Yeah. Mm. So now we have Chris Archer, who who probably I mean besides Hak Julie. Um, probably had the highest upside of any of them. Um, he started, if I'm remembering correctly, the, the start didn't go fantastically. But yeah, he, uh, I believe he gave up three runs in the first inning or two against Strasburg, but kind of settled down and ended up pitching uh, six innings with seven strikeouts and looked, uh, looked actually pretty impressive against the Nationals. Oh, well, then I stand entirely corrected, um, and that's much more exciting. Now, um what do we what do we expect from Archer, especially from a fantasy perspective? What do we expect from Archer um, in the near future, uh, maybe the slightly more distant future? I know he's had control problems, um, and also his role might be questionable. Yeah, um, well, generally the Rays don't generally don't call up prospects unless they're kind of 100% ready. It's kind of their mo. But Archer may be uh, going against that trend because I believe he's only filling in for for Jeremy Hellickson for couple of starts as Chelsea has some sort of shoulder soreness. I don't know how long he'll be out. So Archer in the near future will probably only get get a few more starts and then if fantasy owners want to take a lottery buy a lottery ticket, he's not a he's not a necessarily a bad one because he gets gets many strikeouts, he's proven that over his career in the minors, but he does have an issue walking players, but the Rays also have an ability to, to get the most out of their out of the young talent and Archer certainly looked impressive enough in his first start. Right, and he he has, I guess, the impressive stuff, right? Um, now I think his 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 walk numbers, if I'm not mistaken, have been like around the the fours and the fives. Yeah, um, uh, you're you're exactly right. I'm like, I think I think he was over five walks uh, walks for nine innings in the uh, in the minors this year, and last year it was around four or five as well. Right, and just applying like red flag. Yeah, I mean, applying like just a generic translation to the major leagues. That doesn't look good, and then you compound that with the fact that he's pitching in the AL East. That seems like it would be a problem. Um, now, at the yeah. top of your head, do you remember how many walks he had in that debut? Um, off, the te- off the top of my head, I don't remember, but a quick internet search makes me makes me see that he has uh, <laughs> he only had one walk, which certainly um, it would fly in the face. Less than we expect, but I don't know if that's uh, something he can do consistently, considering he hasn't proven that at any time in his career in the minors. Right. I mean, is that something that you're concerned of if you're looking to roster him? Yeah. I mean, if I was looking to roster him, and then I think 
with the, with some of these young pitchers, you never, never kind of know what what can click or what kind of run they could go on. Or you know, somebody pitches three or four good starts in a row, they all of a sudden never restart. People people in your league can start sipping the Kool Aid and want to trade something for them. So they're they're almost as lottery tickets are almost worth putting on to. I don't know if I would recommend recommend um, starting them against every opponent because, as you said, he pitches in the in the AL East, so he has a some stiff some stiff competition, but. You um, certainly, if you need if you need pitching and you need some upside, he's certainly a guy worth uh, worth at least catching on your bench just to see just to see what happens. Right, or maybe as like a, if you're in a keeper league. I know I, I'm in a a, a couple leagues right, where yeah, like for, for keeper leagues, depending each keeper league is kind of different. But for for keeper leagues, he's certainly the should have already been on your radar, and now that he's up, he should be on your team. Yeah, so take that, listening public. Um, another player uh, who made. A, uh, his major league debut this week um, from Milwaukee, uh, I, although it might have been a spot start, um, and I think he might yeah, be he, down in the minor leagues, is Tyler Thornburg. Yeah, he he came up uh, for the Brewers, and he was pitching in double-A. I think he bypassed triple-A and made a, made a spot start for the Brewers, but now he didn't do all that well in his, in his, in his one start, and now he's sent down back to triple-A. So I don't know. He's not. He's a guy. He's a guy worth, worth keeping an eye on, seeing how he does in AAA, because Milwaukee doesn't have the the best of rotations. And if you already made one start, you could you can bet your dollar that he'll probably be making more in the future. But he less so. I'd I'd, uh, I'd I'd put him lower on the totem pole over Chris Archer, who has a better chance of sticking in the majors. Yeah. Now Milwaukee, um, they also have Willie Peralta, um, who entering the season was probably the best prospect. In a pretty shallow system, and by shallow, I mean they probably. I mean, I mean Willie Peralta is the number one prospect, and he's good. He's fine, but he's not. Uh, he's not one of those sort of explosive talents. Um, do you do do you have any sense of of what made uh, Willie Peralta unavailable for this? Did, was it just a day's rest situation? Sorry, say that again. Um, as to why Willie Peralta wouldn't have been making a start like this, or for example, if a roster spot opened up, would you expect uh, Peralta to fill it? I mean, if you know a rotation spot opened up, would it be would it be Peralta's to fill? Would it be Thornburg's to fill? Oh, I, I think it would be Thornburg. I believe even on uh, on, on Fangraphs preseason prospect list that, that Thornburg was was rated was rated higher than higher than Peralta, and he has better has. Done better this year in the minors thus far than Peralta, although Peralta's, Peralta's older and, and more technically, I guess, major league ready. So Lundberg has the, the higher season and was doing doing quite well in, in Double A. And since he got the the initial start when they needed one, I would I would count on him and getting the uh, all subsequent ones. Right. Now, uh, now uh, we're talking about some debuts that have occurred um, the past week in baseball, and one of them, and perhaps the most impressive, uh, was made by. Uh, made by the pitcher who probably has the least of these three in the way of pedigree, and that's uh, Texas Rangers right-hander Justin Grimm. Justin Grimm uh, went out and struck out 30% of the batters he saw, uh, seven strikeouts, no walks, over the course of six innings in his debut. Um, I don't know that he's necessarily regarded as what you would call a stuff guy. Uh, He's thrown his fastball in the low 90s, which, you know, is uh, totally reasonable, provided... There's something behind it, but um, the Rangers began the season with too many pitchers, um, and uh, you know through through uh, I guess uh, attrition of talent and also due to injury, they've ended up with too few. Um, what is the what is the outlook for Justin Grimm uh, again near and distant future? Uh, 
Um, well, like you said, he didn't really have much of a, of a pedigree. I don't know that he was on anybody's top 15 or 20 prospect list in the, uh, to start the season, but, but all he's done really in his minor league career and especially this year, the minors has, has succeeded and he's carried that over, carried over to the major league level. Like you said, he had seven strikeouts and six innings and no walks and, and he's shown an ability throughout his minor league career, um, increasingly so, getting better at, at limiting, limiting his walks. And although he may have been the, the less, least impressive before the season, Justin Graham is almost the most the most compelling of all the starters currently that, that we just mentioned that have come up. And I believe they removed Scott Feldman from the rotation for Justin Grimm. And even though Roy Oswald should be making a start soon, they've said that Justin Grimm is, is kind of there to stay regardless of of, uh, of Roy Oswald's call-up. But he's kind of in place of Derek Holland, who has to get his, his situation suited up. Oh yeah, do we know Derek Holland's situation? Is it a mustache problem or is it something else? I think it's always a mustache problem, but yeah. in, in addition to that, uh, he's just struggling, and they've been giving, they've been, he hasn't been, uh, hasn't been pitching. After figuring out how to best use him, they should be starting at some point soon. But Justin Grimm forces the hand. They're not gonna. I can't imagine the the Rangers calling that moving down Justin Grimm if he's pitching well for Derek Holland. Yeah, it's one of those things that happens, right, where if you find um, – if, if a guy comes up and, uh, and uh, you know, shows something, a manager is going to stick with them, especially, you know, for a team like the Rangers, which is in uh, – you know, they're, in, they're obviously in contention, um, but they also uh, have run into some injuries of late. And uh, I don't know if it's desperation necessarily, but um, I, I think it's, it's – Something that happens quite frequently in athletics, uh, probably other areas yep. of life, where if something is working, um, the the people in charge will find little need to mess with it. Yeah, but, but I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame those managers who who, uh, who heeded that heeded that advice. And these these situations where on the surface it kind of seems like it could be a a big cluster of people and an issue, they kind of always seem to settle themselves out. Whether it would be Justin Grimm coming up and not performing well and getting set down, or or Derek Holland having a setback, or who, who knows who knows what happened, but these situations would seem like a like a muddy mess generally end up having a clear solution. Right, right. Um, now, also, uh, I mean, besides just uh, major league debuts, uh, we also have some guys coming back from the DL, and of course, this is another valuable or another easy way, I guess, to find talent. Um, we already mentioned Roy Oswald. What are we What are we expecting from him? He's actually starting tonight uh, for yeah, the, for the starts. Texas Rangers. Yeah, he is starting tonight, and I honestly don't don't expect all that much. I think the same, whatever caused hesitation for major league teams to to give Roy Alvarez a, a, a contract right at, right during the off season is kind of the same hesitation that I would have to maybe want to roster him on my start him on my fantasy team. Um, he wasn't he wasn't particularly all that impressive in 2011 in the uh, in the Phillies in the NL. It's like a he had a high year high three ERA and only six strikeouts per nine innings, I believe. And um, I'd be a little worried that after a lot of time off, only a few minor league starts and pitching now in the AL on the Rangers in that ballpark, that I don't know what we can necessarily expect in terms of positive results. He seems to, based on what people are talking about, and he seems to be living a little bit on reputation of being on the Astros in 2004, 2005, rather than what he actually is. Ooh. Pazinkoff. With the scathing yeah. commentary, <laughs> you're but, bringing, uh, you're I'd, uh, I'd imagine he'd he'd 
probably be a close facsimile to what Matt Harrison provides, except Roy Oswald is new and he's kind of an, an unknown in terms of this year, so he may seem like a like a sexier pick, but he's, he's somebody I would keep my eye on, but I wouldn't be uh, rushing to pick him up. Okay, all right. Well, that's fair enough. Um, um, just one man's opinion. Yeah, just one man's Well, an important man. I think we can all agree. An important man's opinion. Um Another player, a player who actually is, is probably interesting to, to me, uh, maybe maybe interesting to some baseball nerds. Um, I don't know if he if he merits that sort of attention is uh, Derek Norris, who I believe uh, we're we're doing this on Friday. I believe he he came back either just Thursday or Wednesday uh, from injury. Well, for, and I mean to the point where he also made his major league debut simultaneously. Uh, but he had come over in the uh, he's one of the prospects who came over from the Washington Nationals. In um, in the Gio Gonzalez trade, and has sort of a uh, a traditional uh, three true outcome approach, I believe. Um, I don't know what his, if his defensive skills are going to keep him in uh, out of the lineup, or and I don't know what Kurt Suzuki is doing. Help me with this. Yeah, Kurt, Kurt Suzuki is having uh, not that he was the greatest of offensive threats to begin with, but he's having he's having a, certainly a pretty a pretty bad year, which was. Which is probably why they they brought up Derek North to see what they got with him. But Kurt Suzuki has a like a woba of 2.35 and he's doing doing pretty bad. And and they called it Derek North, who, like you said, is a definite a three true outcome approach. Although this year he is becoming less so. Although it may just be small sample size in the minors, but historically in the minors he's had walk percentages of 15 to 20 percent and strikeout percentages of of 20 to 25 percent or even more, and this year he's only he's only walking 8.5 percent. The minors have cut his strikeouts down to only 16 percent, which is maybe something Oakland would like. But he is a, a three true come out three true outcome outcome player at, at catcher and has some pop, so he could certainly help your team. But it's kind of a matter of, of playing time, and I don't know if the if the A's are ready to give Derek Norris the the full time stick or if that it's going to have him spot start a couple of times a week. Either, either either one, it's worth worth monitoring in case he's playing every day because there's not many catches of that kind of power coming up every day. Yeah, now, the one uh, highlight I did see of him, which is how I knew that he existed at all, or that he existed as a major league player, was him throwing someone out on a stolen base attempt. Um, uh, now, I don't know if it's just uh, the association naturally develops, but usually when I see an offensive catcher, um, my immediate impulse is to, is to either to think that um, he has. There are defensive questions, or that um, scouts think there are defensive questions. And either way, uh, it might hurt a guy's chances of getting the lineups. Do we know? Do we know anything about his defensive reputation? Um, from what I understand, he, he doesn't necessarily. I don't know that he's uh, the most wowing of, of, of catching catching prospects defensive wise. But by no means is he uh, Jesus Montero, who they who they associate with being a DH every every time you, his name is mentioned. So. He should be able to. He's one that should be able to stick at, at catcher, not necessarily become a DH right away. But I don't know that he's winning winning any Gold Gloves in the future, like Kurt Suzuki might have. Now another guy coming back. Um, I don't know if he's a Gold Glove winner, but he certainly plays on the different end of the defensive spectrum. Um, is uh, although that raises a question. I guess catchers are sort of in their own unique place in the defensive spectrum. In any case, what I mean to say is that Stephen Drew is a baseball player. He is a shortstop, and he's been injured for like a year, I think. And I think maybe he broke his ankle horrifyingly. 
Um, yeah, he bro- he broke his ankle last year and and was put on the DL thereafter. And I believe when he he's supposed to get called up this week on on Wednesday, if all goes according to plan. And I believe that he's been on the DL since breaking his ankle last year. So I'm not entirely sure. It's hard to expect health wise with Stephen Drew, but but shortstop is always always a very valuable value position. And fantasy wise, there's not that many shortstops that can hit for power, and he is. He is one of them, although he hasn't necessarily hit well since 2010, and even in 2010, it wasn't his, his best of years. No, what, what, what were they doing? Just was it just Willie Bloomquist and John McDonald the entire year so far? Yeah, Willie Bloomquist, John McDonald, you're right, and Willie Bloomquist has some some value as a guy who has a guy who steals bases when he's playing every day. But if with Stephen Drew coming back, Willie Bloomquist should probably be a, a venture utility option for Arizona where he's best suited and hopefully hopefully for your team be in the free agent pool because if you have him you'll probably uh you probably have needs. Yeah, the uh, Willie Bloomquist, and this is entirely anecdotal, but Willie Bloomquist seems to have the unique ability um to perform um considerably above his true talent level when he is first inserted into a role. And so and and then uh, I think it's due to the uh, the cognitive bias Known as as the primacy effect, um, coaches, media fans all remember those first like that first like week in which he hit 385, and you know maybe hit a couple home runs accidentally, and that extends for the duration of you know his role with the with the team or or at least for the you know the course of the year. I don't I don't I can't think of any player. Maybe Juan Uribe does that uh, to that to that extent, but he does seem to have that advantage and. Um, he can single-handedly ruin teams because of it, I think. I have a question uh, about Manny Ramirez. Um, is I know that it, uh, he was in the minor league system um, for Oakland. Um, mm-hmm. He returned. He was eligible, or maybe he is now eligible, to um, to return to the majors because he served out the um, the duration of his of his suspension. But now uh, Oakland has released him. Where where is he in the world? Um, la- last I saw, he was just released by the A's, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure where where if his career is going to go go off anywhere in the major leagues anymore. He may be uh, he may be resigned to to playing independent league baseball. Um, yeah, that's strange because even um, now I know that uh, there's at least one listener out there saying um, that it was you know his success is due entirely. Or not entirely, but you know, to a large degree, uh, to uh, PEDs. I, I think you have to say Manny Ramirez is a you know is an innately talented hitter, um, and even if he doesn't even if he doesn't have great power, um, he always had great contact skills. Going back to his um, minor league uh, minor league days, um, <clears throat> for you, for you, who would you be more likely to roster? Um, if one of them returned uh, between R- Manny Ramirez and Vladimir Guerrero, good question. I would. Are we assuming that they're that they're if they're both? If, are we assuming that they're both available, or uh, because I think my, my, the cop out answer would probably be whoever whoever actually makes it to to, to the major. Yes, yeah, say that they are both promoted to the major leagues on the same day, Pazinkov, and you only have one roster spot open. I have only one roster spot open. I would probably take, I probably take uh, Manny, Manny Ramirez. Yeah, why is that? You think? Uh, is that what your gut tells you? Is that what your gut tells you, Pesenkov? 
That's, uh, kind of what, kind of what the passing cops gut tells me. hasn't hasn't been wrong too many times in my life, I guess. No, but uh, he seems to have a, uh, or in his career he had better better approach and a better eye at the plate, and I think that would, uh, if he were to make it to the major leagues and show an ability to to hit potentially major league pitching, I think that 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 approach would would carry him a long way over Vladimir Guerrero's hacking skills, which kind of when you lose when you lose some of your skill set and bat speed, and you don't have the Good, good plate approach. It kind of a uh, age kind of hurts you a little longer than hurts you a little worse than if you have a uh, good, good, good on base on, on base skills. Yeah, yeah. He did. I mean, certainly at the peak of his career, which and in the peak probably lasted longer than for other players for Vladdy. It was amazing what he was able to do with, you know, perhaps one of the most reckless approaches in baseball. But I guess it worked, and that's uh, you know ultimately. Yeah. Um, he was a pretty. Pretty unique hitter that I think we're all glad we got to watch. But when you're when you're in your swan song, that that approach doesn't look so so pretty as it did in his prime. Right, right. Yeah, it's funny he never developed old player skills, except except no, the inability to, except the inability to play defense. <laughs> yeah, so I guess technically, if you never develop old player skills, you'd be considered a young player. Yeah, but if you ever watched him walk, I don't know. Have you ever watched just Vladdy, especially? You know, as he got into his thirties, he walked around. He walked around like a hundred-year-old man. Yeah, he. I think he had back problems, and he was. He wasn't the most uh, able-bodied person later in his career, which is a far cry from when he would steal forty bases a year. Right. Yeah, and of course, there's some possibility um, that it was due uh, maybe playing the outfield in uh, ex, uh, for the Montreal Expos and their their artificial. Turf. Oh, yeah. An artificial turf, yeah. Yeah. Although I don't know if I may be just um, c- continuing a, a narrative that has no substance. Have you ever seen any studies done on that? Say that again. Have you ever seen any any studies done on the, the effects of artificial turf on players? Is there any sense that it? Actually- I I, uh, I actually don't know of, uh, of of any studies or or the results of results of those studies, but I would love for you to educate me. Oh no, I have no idea. I have no idea. It would require oh. it would require a massive Google search right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh. but we can leave our uh, we can leave the listeners with that that sort of mystery uh, hanging in the air to keep them hungry, right? Uh, we yeah. asked the question. Hungry for next time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, stay hungry, hungry like a wolf. I don't know if I don't know if that hungry. Wolves get very hungry. They live in they live in the wild. Um, Maybe like hungry like a, a husky. Yeah, right. A husky is like a uh, like a civilized wolf, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, right. Which, uh, yeah, which I imagine. Uh, um, I feel like I've been maybe as hungry as a husky at one point in my life. Um, but good stuff. Yeah, good stuff, uh, Mr. Pazinkoff. It's been a pleasure uh, to meet you. I'm going to invite you uh, for some um, um, tea and conversation immediately following. Uh, this recording, but in the meantime, I'll thank you for joining uh, Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. It was a real pleasure. It was a real pleasure. That is Ben Pazinkoff. He writes, um, well, he writes the bullpen report uh, twice a week, I believe it is, at um, Rotographs. You also, do you write elsewhere, Pazinkoff? I have uh, my own little baseball blog um, that, I have to, that I haven't necessarily updated in a while, but it's BenBaseballBias.com. A bunch for the extreme alliteration. I don't know if it's gotten extreme viewership yet, though. Yeah, extreme alliteration really is the only sort of alliteration. Other than that, you're just 
You're just uh, you're a weird wuss otherwise, as uh, Davy Johnson would say of Joe Madden. Go extreme or go home. Uh, yeah, so that has been Mr. Pazinkoff, writes our bullpen report. I am and will continue to be Carson Sestouli, and this has been a Fantasy Friday edition, the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio.